0: You are listening to the Health Disparities Podcast from Movement is Life, a series of conversations about health disparities with people who are working to eliminate them. Today, I'm discussing health disparities with Dr. Lynn Pujol. Welcome, Lynn. And I understand you you have much to celebrate right now, completion of your doctorate. Yes, I do. And your chapter will host the National Black Nurses Association next year.
1: 2020.
0: Yes, well, we're
1: excited. <laughs>
0: absolutely. Well let
1: me start by asking okay. you
0: to tell us a bit about your doctorate.
1: Oh my doctorate. You know what? When the economy crashed I went back to school and got my graduate, my undergrad, my grad, and now I'm finishing my doctorate. Because I knew then that you have to have a higher level of education to succeed. And so I got my DMP and my project is basically on dementia patients. Uh, African-Americans are disproportionately affected by dementia and Alzheimer's and uh, as such we want to make sure that our population is All populations are assessed for pain adequately. So my project is on increasing nurses knowledge and ad- improving attitudes on Assessing pain in dementia patients um, where, actually where I work we have a 500 patient census of dementia patients out of 1800 So it's a huge population uh, that we have just in our program uh, at Bes and so it's important that we have nurses that can um, assess uh, fully for patients uh, with dementia that have pain to ensure that they have comfort and quality care at the end of life so that's with significant importance to me
0: right and I'm sure as with most diseases mm-hmm. I'm sure there are some, health and healthcare disparities as it relates to
1: people of color Absolutely. with dementia. Absolutely. Did you run across any of that your Well, your Well, you know, typically I have to tell you that it's disappointing to know this, but only 8.6 um, percent of African Americans choose hospice, while 86 percent and higher Caucasians choose hospice. And so we get a small demographic, but we can certainly do better uh, with caring for uh, patients who have terminal diseases through support, you know, supporting their families, supporting them. And a lot of people think that hospice, you know, like we're hope stealers, we're joy stealers. We don't, you know, we're hoping for a miracle if you're hoping for a miracle. You like it, we love it. And the thing is that just let us be there with you on this journey until your miracle comes. But well, we want to be able to support you and help you and uh, provide you the comfort care uh, for not only the patient, but supportive services for the family. And oftentimes, African-Americans, of course, uh, do not elect hospice, but we're hoping to change that.
0: You actually helped establish the Broward chapter
1: mm-hmm. of National
0: Black Nurses mm-hmm. Association in 2015. 2015. And that is a chapter that has a strong focus mm-hmm. on hospice nursing. Yes,
1: we, we were the first chapter in history of the MBNA to be all hospice nurses. They all came from Vita's Healthcare. All, I think we had 15 to start. All of them were hospice nurses, and we were the first, not only the first hospice chapter, but the first chapter that was diverse, that had on uh, diversity. So we had white, Hispanic, cu- um, Cuban, African American, Haitian, Jamaican. We had it all. That is male, awesome. male and female. We had two males when we started. That is absolutely mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. We're excited about that. Yes. Why do, you, Lynn? Why do you think mm-hmm. um,
0: some populations have problems accessing hospice care?
1: I really, you know, I wrote an article in Legacy Magazine It came out the twenty um, May twenty-six uh, about two months ago now, and the populations don't understand it. They don't know what hospice care is, or what the philosophy. Hospice is really a, a philosophy. It's not a medical model. It's a philosophy on providing comfort and quality at the end of life, while maintaining, while maintaining dignity, autonomy, and um, just support. So we don't take anything away. We build whatever you have up to, to what your comfort level is. And the thing is that most people don't understand it. And when I first started working for hospice, I got such resistance when I said, hi, how are you? I work for Vitas Healthcare. And I would say Innovative Hospice. And they were just taken back by that. And they didn't understand what kind of services we provide, and when and what can we do to support them at this time. And so it takes education, and that's what we do here at the conference. Uh, we typically do LNEC, which is um, nursing education for uh, consortium, where we teach hospice care to the nurses that attend that seminar. I think Diane D said we've been doing this for 15 years here at the conference, and I think she's uh, she's trained over. I think maybe fifteen to 20,000 nurses in the training. Sometimes they come back year after year the same people because they just want this knowledge, they want to hear what's new, and they want to play it forward to their communities, and that's important.
0: That's great. So it sounds like you have focused on one of the social determinants of health mm-hmm. that affects um, individuals, and that's um, the lack of education.
1: Any time we see that um, there's inequality, we have an obligation as nurses to stand up and speak to that. And we see that there is an inequality in how um, communities of color get benefits, how communities of color can access health care, how communities of color, we just had a conversation about this yesterday in one of our sessions, how communities of color, when they go to fill a prescription, you know, it's, the, the drugs aren't there because they may be a prescription that they're not carrying or they just don't have it in the pharmacy. So we get released from the hospital, we have the prescription, We go to the pharmacist to get it, and now we can't get it. So we're in pain. We access what primary? We access urgent care again, which is it's just a catch-22, and so it's it's a cycle that perpetuates itself over and over and over again. And we're trying to break that. We're trying to break that. Absolutely. What are your thoughts on the current dilemma of so many
0: safety net hospitals closing, and the future of care in communities of color?
1: The safety net hospitals are closing. Thank God for um, the hospitals we have in Broward County because they're, um, they're, they're county hospitals where everyone is admitted regardless of the ability to pay. They'll source for insurance or any money they can get for you, but typically Broward Health and Memorial Health Systems are all, in, um, will take anybody without the ability to pay. They'll work it out later, but they're not going to turn you away. So these safety hospitals are usually in small areas, maybe rural areas, or some cities that are really disenfranchised, not getting any more federal money. Money. Uh, we're we're burdened by this in Florida as well, as some of our smaller um, counties. Uh, we're not, in, we, our governor, Rick Scott, and now the new governor, and elected not to expand Medicare, Medicaid, I'm sorry, Medicaid for Florida. And so that really hurt us because there's, um, I think there's 24% of Floridians do not have health care coverage when the national average is 15%. And historically, they're of course low, in, you know, low economic, socioeconomic status. And so as nurses and as l- leaders in health care, we have to look upstream at what we can do to really change downstream. If we don't start addressing upstream, downstream we're gonna have all these kind of crises. We're gonna have people that have low health literacy, poor, um, poor management of diseases, um, not nutritious foods, inadequate transportation, uh, inadequate parks and recreations for them to have a healthy lifestyle. And if we don't grab the children especially quickly, And get them some services, get them good meals, get them nutrition, start educating them, and 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 developing them into productive um, citizens. Then we're losing it's generational, 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 and we have an obligation to really step in and try to make some changes with that. And you have some mentorship
0: programs, I believe, with your Broward chapter that you've put in place. Mm -hmm. Um, How do they work, and what kind of results are you seeing?
1: Well, our motto is that we only rise as we lift you. And so every one of the chapter members has an obligation to mentor somebody else, whether it's a chapter member that's trying to get an advanced degree or maybe a different job, or if it's people in the community. We mentor a lot of uh, students in the community that are trying to get a higher education. And so each one of the members is mentoring someone in their own right. But we do mentor uh, DMP students, we mentor uh, masters in nursing education students, and we mentor uh, students that are trying to get a BSN or LPN students that are trying to get licenses as an as LPN nurse or go on to an uh, associate's degree or bachelor's. So all of that, we believe that um, coming to this conference was trans- transformational for me in 2015. You saw so many people of color and diversity that achieved such great levels of excellence in their career, profession, and in, in, in education. And when you see that, you say to yourself, I can, I'm just like them, I could do that. I'm just like them, and it inspires you. And every one of our members that have come to conference has gone home and registered in the class. So I'm excited about that always. Excellent, excellent. Mm-hmm. Lynn, how do you think we can get
0: professionals more involved? We talked about patients and you know mm-hmm. literacy issues and patient education. Um, you're doing great work um, with the nurses mm-hmm. and, and from that standpoint. But other health and healthcare professionals that mm-hmm. may not be as actively engaged as yeah. you seem to be an NBNA with a lot of their initiatives to help eliminate health disparities, mm-hmm. what else can you think about that we can do to get more healthcare professionals involved in this well, process?
1: Well, healthcare is collaborative. And so we may be nurses, but we need physical therapists, we need pharm- pharmaceutical, phar- you know, pharmacy. Um, um, educators, and we need, of course, physicians, and we need a variety social workers we need everybody on board with this and so together we can find a solution If we all practice in silos if we just nurses just stay for nurses and you know physicians just stay for physicians and pharmacists want to be pharmacists then we get nothing done we can only do this if we do this collaboratively and healthcare is a collaborative effort if you want the best outcomes in patient care if you want to maintain health and wellness for populations you have to have a collaborative approach Of all disciplines, and outside of disciplines, because you still need—we partner with the Urban League, the NAACP. We partner with so many organizations in Broward County because what we have people there that need us, and we need them for certain things. So it's all collaborative and interprofessional relationships that help lift up an entire community. No one can practice in a silo and expect any change to come from that. It takes a village. Takes a village. It will take a village. village. It does take a village. Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
0: Well, we have a few minutes remaining, and um, so for my last question, I want to ask you,
1: now that you've completed your doctorate,
0: Mm -hmm. what's next?
1: You know, someone's going to spank me for saying this, but I really uh, told someone the other day that the school I go to, Nova Southeastern University, just started a DMP to PhD program, right? So I want the research part of it now. (laughs) I want the PhD. I know that sounds crazy. Cause you know, it's like school is so challenging, but I really want that part of it. So I could really bridge the gap between bedside care and the research that's implemented at bedside care. And so I would love to partner with with different disciplines to create another project, like a PhD uh, project. Because you don't have to do a, your, your dissertation by yourself. Your manuscript doesn't have to be just one person. You can have uh, uh, interprofessional uh, collaboration with your projects. And I'd like to, like to bring in another perspective um, for this. And we have a lot of black nurses here that have a PhD in DMP. So it's not unusual. And I didn't think I'd say that, but I really want the relationship with the research and how we can translate that to the bedside care.
0: And we need more Mm -hmm. professionals of color. We do. In that area. We do. So that's awesome. We do. That's awesome. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, thank you, Lynn. Thank you for having me.
0: This was wonderful. Absolutely. And thank you all for listening to the Health Disparities Podcast from Movement is Life. Please join us for new installments every two weeks by subscribing at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google. You can also find us at www.movementislifecaucus.com. Thank you and see you next time.